This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. It's navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Oscar Edmondson and I'm joined today by Katie Balls and James Heal. So today was meant to be Judgment Day on uh, Dominic Raab, as we were meant to learn the results of Adam Tolley's investigation into historic bullying claims against the Deputy PM. Katie, can you take us through the latest? So we have no news, um, in, the, in the sense of no findings. We do have things we can talk about on the podcast, we promise. Don't, don't uh, press pause or stop yet. But effectively, we know that the report reached uh, Rishi Sunak this morning. That was confirmed, I think, near midday. And then we're told he was going to take time to go through the report. I think that was pretty expected. But I think there was at least an expectation or a reasonable, ex- a reasonable expectation mm. that by the end of play today, we would be given an update. Um, that's not well we have we do have an update which is that there's no update and there's not going to be an update later tonight so that means that Richard is still going through the report now there's various figures and what's obviously clear is that this report I think is is not clear cut I think from the time and it's also suggestions from some figures in government saying it's very detailed it's very long and I think that it clearly uh, is leaving the Prime Minister with a decision. You also have the other element in all this, which is Rishi Sunak needs to make a decision. But then he needs to relay that decision to Dominic Raab, which could take more time. I think Dominic Raab, as a politician, is one... Um, I think there was a hold-up in a previous cabinet reshuffle when Dominic Raab very much wanted to keep the Deputy Prime Minister title when he was demoted from Foreign Secretary to Justice Secretary. And he did, in the end, do that. But it was seen at the time as many things are taking longer. So you have the decision for Rishi Sunak, and then you have the the process of letting Dominic Raab know what that is. If it is that uh, Rishi Sunak no longer thinks Dominic Raab can have this position in his cabinet, that could take some time. There could be some back and forth. And then there's also the possibility that they will want to announce uh, Dominic Raab's successor around the same time as all of this. Um, now, these are all hypotheticals. <laughs> I'm going to tomorrow, but I think... Probably the clearest thing we have is that this is not an easy decision for Rishi Sunak, hence why it is taking so long. Mm. And I think that Rishi Sunak has um, got himself into a bit of a difficult situation in the sense there is a working expectation, I think, for most people in Westminster that he is going to let go of Dominic Raab. If he doesn't, and it's clearly bad enough that he's not able to make a quick decision, mm. that is a decision that's going to be pretty controversial. I think with even some of his own MPs, we've hearing obviously you know, civil servant threats. Um, so, so I think it's going to be a tricky 24 hours, whatever Rishi Sunak does. Okay. Well, James, I mean, this has been hanging over Rishi Sunak's head now for about five months. Is it sort of the time for him to press on and, and distance himself from Dominic Raab? So I think that what Katie says about, you know everyone in Westminster talking about Dominic Raab now potentially going. I do agree is perhaps sort of overpriced in that I think that it's a product of we haven't had much in Westminster to talk about. There's far less sleaze than there was under Boris Johnson. Therefore, we've been talking about it for weeks and weeks and there's been briefings that he has to go. It's the only solution, etc. Rishi Sunak, I think, as a prime minister, showed in the Gavin Williamson episode that he was reluctant to 
kind of be forced into sacking his ministers. Of course, he you know sacked Nadim Zahawi, but that was because there was a very critical report that came out, which sort of implied that was the only solution and there was no other way. Yeah. It's rare that we have reports of this kind, be they from Solari Magnus or Adam Tully, to, to, to this extent, which are, which are as critical as that one was. Mm. I would be, although of course there are eight complaints against Dominic Raba, I'm not necessarily sure it would be um, as, as black and white, uh, something to do with, with, with shares, for instance, where it's clear on a balance paper. This could perhaps be more like the Mark Spencer report when it was much more he said, she said. Uh, and in that case, it can come down to Dominic Raab's word against the civil servants. Uh, whether that is considered sufficient grounds or not remains to be seen. Uh, but I do think, as, as Katie sort of alludes to, is that Dominic Raab is, is a close ally. And I, I think that although Rishi Sunak obviously has put a great premium on integrity, etc., he would obviously be keen to keep Dominic Raab within the fold rather than send him to um, Siberia like Liz Truss once did. Yeah, so moving on to the big picture targets and perhaps somewhere where we do actually have some news to talk about. Um, (laughs) There have been some amendments to the illegal migration bill tabled today. James, can you take us through them? Yeah, so obviously the big discussion before today was talking about the amendments that Tory rebels on the right different reports various to their strength but sort of 40 to 60 or so seems the kind of figure in circulation um we're going to put down amendments they've appeared to be bought off with these two concessions one of which concerns about the ability of european judges to stop deportation flights and then the other is about the ability of asylum seekers to claim services when they're here they those have been changed to sort of strengthen the bill and the key two amendments i think which have really been put down now are one which is by tim loudon which is to encourage more legal routes for asylum seekers to come here legally and the other which is really interesting is the theresa may ian duncan smith amendment which is about um, exempting those who have been victims of effective modern-day slavery here in this country. Uh, and I think that is something to really be concerned about because I think every Tory MP can really behind a general message of stop the boats. The key question comes in, OK, if we're going to stop the boats, we're going to stop all the asylum seekers, but what about those people who have been you know, mistreated here, etc.? And then you get to sort of specific amendments. And that's the sort of danger, I think, that a lot of those number 10 in Parliament want to avoid, which is having kind of messy fights on the floor of the House of Commons, whereby you get... Tory MPs maybe in the One Nation group who say, yes, I want to stop the boats. Yes, I don't think we should have, you know, we want to smash the gangs, etc. But also, I feel a bit conflicted about this. They might have a personal loyalty or a history or they can't be bought off, etc. And they, 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 they really feel strongly about modern slavery, for instance, and, and that could lead to an issue. So although I think perhaps Rishinek has been talking about the right of the party in the last 24, 48 hours, the concern may now switch to the kind of left mainstream One Nation group of the party as well. So what do you think of that, Katie? Is this an opportunity for us to see sort of Rishi Sunak's management style satisfying both the left and the, the right of his party on this sort of really big issue that he's he's taken up? Yes, I think what's interesting on the amendments on the right, and you had the rebels brought in this week for, as we said, it's bacon sandwiches, um, <laughs> just just uh, for the use of all journalists who need to colour pieces and people want to talk about Number 10 always served the same breakfast to any MPs who come through. There's a fruit platter there's pastries and there's bacon rolls. There's always all three. And I'm told no matter what Tory caucus you are, the bacon rolls tend to be the most popular. Um, but yeah. You've just killed Sunday journalism. Yeah. Sorry, guys. <laughs> but they had these meetings. And I think what is interesting is when it comes to the amendments, which you could say are the amendments to the right, so hard, like toughening up the bill, Rishi Sunak did find a compromise along with Suada Bravman, um, which didn't go all the way they wanted, but went some of the way. Had those amendments been put down, it's not as though the Labour Party would have got 
behind them. They would not have passed. There wouldn't be enough votes. But it shows you that Rishi Sunak wanted to put on this united front. Did not want, and I think this bill was always seen as a way to unify the party, perhaps ambitiously. Um, so did not want to suddenly have a situation where part of the right are against it. So, so that's there. The problem and the amendments that James just mentioned are ones about uh, letting a set number come to the UK of asylum seekers legally. That is likely to have cross-party support. So that's something where you can't talk down the rebels to find a compromise. You can see a situation where Labour Lib Dems were back there. And similarly, when you're looking at, I think, modern slavery, uh, previously there was some talk of provision for child refugees. Those are areas where you can imagine the opposition parties, and in some of those cases they have already said they would support those. That's much more mathematically challenging for Rishi Sunak and has always been his his most immediate problem in terms of getting the business through. So we'll see what comes in the coming days, talks between the whips and the rebels to try and find solutions. I think when it comes to small boats, there's just so many different things that need to go right for Rishi Sunak. If this doesn't work, those MPs who went into Downing Street this week are clearly going to be part of this growing, I think, cry to think about putting leaving the ECHR in the Tory manifesto at the next election. Now, if Rishi Sunak can show progress and you know get some flights for Rwanda going, um, you know, have a sense at least that he is turning the tide, I think they can avoid that. But probably the the difficulty for Rishi Sunak is if this doesn't work after toughening up this bill to this degree and it, it does not get the results, uh, the response is not going to be that's go softer, it's going to be let's go mm. harder and, and you're going to hear more about a potential referendum. Thank you, Katie. And thank you, James. And thank you for listening. And just to remind listeners, we've got a Coffee House live coronation special event happening on Wednesday, the 10th of May, 6.30pm at the Emmanuel Centre. You can hear Fraser Nelson, Katie Balls and the Daily Telegraph's Camilla Tomenay as they discuss what the historic coronation of Charles III will mean for the United Kingdom. And also go through the results of the local elections and seeing whether King Charles' coronation has saved Rishi Sunak's bacon when it comes to what we expect to be some quite difficult results. So a, a multifaceted event, uh, which you can get tickets for at spectator.co.uk forward slash coronation. We'll also take questions. So if you don't like the topics that we've raised for this, you can come with your own and we'll make sure that those are aired.